Well, that was Pastor Phil. He's taken off a few weeks to be with, be with his lovely wife after the birth of their second child, Sweet Emery. So let's uh, join hands with the person next to you. Let's pray, our, pray for our pastor. God, we love Pastor Phil and the joy he brings as he leads uh, our church with the elders and the other pastors. And uh, we thank you that you've put that anointing on his life, that special touch to be that senior leader. And God, we pray for rest and refreshment and life and fullness upon him, health upon his family, prosperity, joy, peace, love, all good things, Father, as he serves and lays down his life for the Lord Jesus Christ and his service to the kingdom. And we pray this name in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is a profound truth. There's not a single important decision that's more important than this one decision, that is this. The decision you make for the rest of your life to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ every day. Do you agree with me? Is there anything more important than that? And I'm so excited about our time, of our commitment as a body to read one chapter in the Bible every day, starting with John 1. And today I'm going to be teaching on John 2 through 8. Pastor Daniel taught on John chapter 1 and laid a foundation for that. Thank you, Pastor, for, uh, for us. And, and, um, and I just want to say a couple things about reading the Word of God before I get in the text of John chapter 2, verse John chapter 2 through verses, or through chapter 8. And that is this. Don't let Satan beat you up and condemn you if you forget to read your chapter one day. Right? And if you forget to read it two days, okay. And if you forget to read it three days, okay, start on the fourth day. If you didn't read anything at all this entire week, read John 8 today. Don't think about going back and catching up. Just jump in with us today, okay? Just share with us today. And the goal for us here at ECC is from now through June, sometime June, ending June 17th or somewhere in that. Pastor, what's that date? June 17th, thank you. It's to go through the entire New Testament. Now, when the teaching team and the elders, was, when we were looking at doing this and, and the pastoral staff, I started interviewing different pastors I know, and I asked them this question. I said, how many people in your congregation would you say have, they may or may not understand the New Testament, but they have at least read the New Testament. The highest percentage, the highest percentage was 10%. Majority of them said 0 to 5%. Here at ECC, we want to be different. We want to give the Holy Spirit some substance to work with in our life. You see, if we give him, if we read the word, now we're giving the Holy Spirit something that he can speak. We're giving him something to work with when I, because I, I, the Word and the Spirit works together to grow and to transform me. And so I wanted to just share with you a personal story in my own life. This is my Bible from 1977. Forty years old, this is. I, I remember saving and working. This was my senior year and, and, and a year in construction. I wanted a Bible that I could carry in my back pocket at school and and, and work. So, so I would just carry that there because I was always flipping it out to my friends because I want everybody to know about this wonderful love of God. And I've been through the New Testament many, many times. As a matter of fact, in John, our, our 222 group, our five and six, our six men, we went through our, our five men, we went through John in, in August. And then we, then we went through Acts and then we went through Ephesians. And now we're 
back with John again. And I'm reading it again. And I never saw that. Page after page, the Holy Spirit reveals things. That I, and I've read John, I can't tell you how many times. And you know why it's different every time I read it? Because the Word of God is alive and it's active. And the Holy Spirit takes me with where I am at today. And as I read that word, he starts speaking to me about it. See, you can read the Bible 1,000 times. And 1,000 first time, you're going to get new revelation, things you never saw because the Holy Spirit is going to unveil new things to you. I love the Bible. This is the word of God. And I want to encourage everybody, please, jump in with us. Jump in with us and read one chapter a day. Connect with the 222 group because the 222 groups are going to go along with that. On Sunday morning, the majority of the time, sometimes Pastor May lead us down a different trail that he feels a, a, a special a need to speak on something. But, but basically, we're going to go through the New Testament together in the next nine months. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Please help us to grow into your full image. Help us to discover all that you have for our life. Help us, help us to seek you with all of our heart, to fall deeper in love with you. Help your word to come alive in us. Help us to, to grow in your word and to learn your word and to discover those treasures and those jewels and, 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 and the, 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 the beauty of that living and active word. God, make us a church that's on the hillside with a bright light that says to the, this world, here's a safe place for you to come and to be loved and to discover your destiny in Christ. So God, help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us fall deeper in love with you. In your precious name, Jesus, our Messiah, we pray to our Father by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So John 1, verse 10 and 11, I think it's the saddest passage in the whole New Testament. And it says this, though the world was created by Jesus, the world did not recognize him. And it says, though the world was created by him, the world did not want him. The one who, I don't get to breathe my next breath unless he gives that breath to me. I don't get to lose another gray hair. By the way, I've been dying my hair gray. What do you think? Is it a good look? I, I don't get to lose another hair unless he allows it. See, I don't get to take another step unless he allows it. I don't get another day in my life unless he allows it. The molecules in my body is held together by the power of his word. The sun and the earth and all that rotation and all that cool stuff that happens, happens because of him. This is the creator. This is God. And he comes to this earth and it says, we don't want him. And then in John chapter 3, he talks to a group of people. He says, though I'm the light of the world, you love darkness. Though I came into the world, you wanted darkness over me. And this is a single truth from this. That God possessed and came to this world for one reason because he's got an incredible, never-ending love for us. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not going to pursue too many people who don't want me to be with them. I'm not going to love a lot of people who do not want me 
to love him. And so the Gospel of John is the theme. The theme of the Gospel of John is this tug between Jesus pursuing us and us pulling from him. And I pull from him and he pursues me harder. And I pull from he pursues me. And then I give in and I surrender. And I grow in him. And then I start pulling away. And he keeps tugging me back. It's this challenge between light and darkness. I love darkness. And then I come into his light. And I get revelation and I love light. And then I crawl down this stupid little path. And he pursues me again. And that's the tug of war. And the writer of John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see the revelation of Jesus as he pursues us. There's four or five themes through this gospel that I want to just share a little bit. Theme number one is this. And it, it, it just blows me away. Is that the Holy Spirit wants you and I to get a revelation of the personality of God. See, you can't love someone you don't know. I married my wife because I learned her story. I fell in love with her person. I fell in love with who she was. And I longed for her and I wanted her. See, you can't love someone you don't know. And so the Gospel of, of John is trying to give us a revelation of the person of Jesus and, and God as he's enveloped and wrapped into the person of Jesus so that we can fall in love with him. Isn't that cool? And we're going to talk about his personality. How many of you know... His personality. Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about that through the Gospel of John. The second theme that you see woven all through this is that, is that there's that great call in us for more. For more. We want more life. We want more fullness. We want more meaning. We want more significance. We want more security. We want, we want more joy. We want more peace. And all through this, Jesus is saying, you want more. And he's over here saying, I've got it. I've got it. You're thirsty, he says. I've got living water for you. You're hungry. I've got the bread of life. You're fearful of death. I've got eternal life for you. i got cool stuff for you. So inside of us, there's this yearning for more. And the Gospel of John unfolds. The great message that in Christ there is more. There's more. Isn't it neat? Have you ever thought about this? I like to sleep. Anybody like to sleep? I mean, I like to work. I like, you know, but after I put my 17, 18 hours in, I enjoy sleeping six to eight hours, right? You know, God could have created me with like an ever ready battery. I never needed any sleep, but He chose not to. And I like to eat. Anybody here like to eat? Yeah. And I like water and good drinks. And, and I, I love, I love iced tea. I stop at Panera every morning. And I get that refreshing iced tea from Panera. I, at work, they kind of kid me because every morning I come in with my big thing of iced tea from Panera. You know, God could have created me that I didn't need to drink, I didn't need to eat, nor do I need rest. But what he is saying is, Dennis, just as you need those things to sustain your life, you ready for this? You need something else to sustain your life. Just as you need rest, you need rest in me. Oh, I'll be rest for your soul. Just as you need drink, oh, I'll be living water for you. Just as you need food, I will be the food in your life to bring meaning and purpose. And so what he's trying to do, he's trying to help us to capture through this gospel that need for more 
that he is the response to that. Third thing that you see through the Gospel of John is he captures our story over and over and over again. He sees your story with all of your brokenness, all of your woundedness, and he tries to catch you up into the bigger story. All right? And we're going to see that in a little bit, that there's a story that's called your story, and there's a story called his story, and he's calling you and I into his story. And when we get caught up into his story, we become different people. The fourth theme you see all through this gospel is this, is the Spirit of God is trying to unlock the brokenness in our hearts. <laughs> he's trying to get to our heart because if Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart because out of it comes the wellspring of life. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there's things in our heart, there's damage to our heart, there's hurt in our heart, there's things that, that, that's caused a lot of great pain in our heart, and the Holy Spirit is trying to unlock that and to, to come in and bring the life of God into that situation so that you can live a full and abundant life. And how does he do it? The fifth theme. And then we'll get into the text. He does it by simply saying, I love you. With amazing love. With incredible love. I love you. Dennis, I love you. I love you, Dennis. I love you. I love you. Sometimes I have to say that over and over because I'm doing this. And he's doing this. I'm doing this. And he's doing this. But, but, but Jesus, you don't know what I... I do know. I love you. But gee, I, no, no. I love you. That happened yesterday. I'm living today. That's why it's called the present. I'm not worried about yesterday. I'm worried about right now. I love you. And when I'm overwhelmed with that love, when I let that love into my heart, I become a different person. So let's begin with John chapter 2. And you know what? I'm going to go for about another 20, 25 minutes. We'll go as far as we can. And then we'll stop. Or if you start doing this to me, <laughs> we'll stop. So John chapter 2, Jesus introduces us, the Holy Spirit introduces us to the first miracle at Canaan. And I find this an incredible miracle. First of all, they're at a wedding. And in this wedding, they do something that you should never do. They run out of wine. Right? And it's like, ah, what, what are we going to do with all the guests? And so the mother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus. By the way, she knows he's God. Remember she did the virgin birth thing? <laughs> she had the angels speak to him, and then Joseph had the They know who he is. He says, Jesus, what can we do here? <laughs> Jesus says to his mother, Mom, my time's not here. My time, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. this my, my, when this starts happening, my life's going to change in a big way. I'm not ready to unveil all that I am. And guess what happens? The mother hears that. The mother looks to the servants, says, do whatever he says. I love the fact that the mother of Jesus pulled Jesus' strings. That's kind of cool to me. And I love the fact that he loved his mom so much. It's like, Okay, or maybe the mother had to do a little, come on, Jesus, it's time. It's time. So what's Jesus do? He says to his servants, go give me six jars. Now, these were ceremonial jars. These held anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons of water. Okay? And they go get the jars, and Jesus, they, he says, fill them with water. Fills them with water. When they start emptying out, it's wine. 
Now, if you take six jars times 30 gallons, that's over 910 bottles of wine. That's going to be a cool party. That's going to be a, that's going to be a, a fun party. But this is what I want us to get. I want us to capture two or three things here. Number one, Jesus takes the ordinary water in our life and he makes it wine. Now that's cool. See, we think we're ordinary. See, we, we think we can't. We think we're limited. But when we take that ordinary and we surrender it to Jesus and we fill up the jars of clay, he turns it to wine. See, he takes me, then it's just an ordinary person. When I surrender my life, he intoxicates me with the Spirit and brings living wine out of my life. Isn't that cool? The other thing I see that's so neat here is that not only does he take the ordinary and make it extraordinary, but his generosity is incredible. He could have figured it out. I think we need about 15 more bottles of wine. We'll get it, you know, cool. And you know what, let's just, it's the end of them, they probably pay a little bit too much wine, or however you want to theologically mess with that. I don't, I don't know about however grape juice, wine, whatever you do. Whatever happens here, okay, he could have simply said, you know, let's do the worst stuff. Let's just kind of get, get by with a little bit of whatever, you know, because they don't know, they won't know the difference. But instead, he's extravagant. He gives them 910 bottles of this stuff called wine. And it's the very best wine. Oh, I love the fact that his personality, God's personality is this. He wants to give you and I the very best. The very best wine. He wants to give you and I the very best life. He's not shortchanging us. If we surrender, he's got nothing but the very best for us. And then what I really like about this story is he calls the MC of the party to test the wine. Now, he wants people to test the wine of God in your life. You see, you, if you know Christ, you are a gift to the world. Let me say that again, because we don't, it's hard for us to see that. But Dennis, and I really want you to catch this. <laughs> Dennis is a gift to the world. Okay? Yeah, I got you. Vic is a gift to the world. Tim, you're a gift to the world. Daniel, you're a gift to the world. Mark, you're a gift to the world because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And he's saying to the wine master, he's saying to the masters of ceremony, he's saying to all the people that you work with, Mark, Test the wine. Taste the wine. Why? Because that's how good God is. That's how good he is. Oh, but it, it doesn't stop there. Then he goes into the temple. Okay, we're moving to another story. I just want you to see the personality of God a little bit. He goes in this temple, and, and they got, they're selling and doing trading and marking things up, and they're trying to make money off God. Basically, there's a lot of posers here. There's a lot of people who act spiritual, but they're filled with dead men's bones. They're filled with religion, but they have no life in them. So we're going to see something really neat about Jesus. Are you ready for this? 
See if this fits your image of the Lamb of God. He goes, and he gets a whip. He gets a whip. And he goes in there, and he clears the temple with the whip. He turns over the money to the, the tables, and money goes all over the place. The animals goes out. I mean, I don't know how you say, what's a cow say? Moo or whatever. They're, they're scared. Everybody's, everybody's running. I mean, he looks crazy. Wouldn't he look crazy? And he did that. And the Bible said the zeal for his father's house consumed him. It consumed him. He had so much passion for the presence of his father. And, and the temple was where the father abided, the presence of God abided. So much passion for him, it consumed him, that he was going to get all religion out of the way so the life of God could be fully manifested. He was going to minimize uh, every, anything that was standing away from the life of God. He was going to get it out of the way. Now, what about your life? Where does the, where's the temple of God today? Say me. Everybody say me if you're born again. Me. The temple of God is you. Right? That's the cool thing about the new covenant. You know, the presence of God is no longer in temples. Now the presence of, of God abides with us. When you're born again, the spirit of God and your spirit became one spirit. And you house the Holy Spirit. The presence of God. Right? Now what if that Jesus had the same passion to clear everything out of my life that is stopping from the life that is stopping the life of God from coming forth in me. What if? What if all those impure thoughts, the Holy Spirit is working in me, trying to clear that out of me, not because He doesn't love me, but because He loves me so much, He knows that the life of God, when it's manifested in my life, is going to exude, it's going to be such an exuberance. Such joy, such peace in me, and he wants to give me the fullness of his life. What if he was so radically in love with me that he wanted to remove all greed from me? That he wanted to remove all bitterness from me? That he wanted to clear out anything in my life that did not like, look like him? Anything in my life that was going to stop the flow of God through me? What if? What if all those counterfeit gods that we talked about that Jesus has a whip. Ooh, that kind of hurt, you know? But he's saying, yeah, it stings a little bit, Dennis. But the reward is going to be life to the fullness. Life abundant. Going to be great success. What if? Do you see Jesus so deeply in love with you that he radically, radically wants to possess you and clear out everything in your life that would stop you from experiencing your destiny, your fullness, what you were created for. Then Nicodemus comes in. Nicodemus has seen all this stuff in John chapter 3. So far, we're not getting any of this. So we're, I'll, I'll go on for a few more minutes. I love John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes in. And the word Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees. The word Nicodemus means conqueror. So he conquered the pecking order. <laughs> Man, he was the Pharisee of Pharisee. So he comes to Jesus, and the Bible says specifically, when it was dark. 
the other people, he, he didn't want the other people to know he's there. And he says, Jesus, no one can do these things, but he's from God. Right on. Jesus looks him straight in the eyes and says, Nicodemus, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Bam! What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. It's his atmosphere. It's his spirit. It's where his dominion, it's where his word has the way. See, the kingdom of God, this is the cool thing about the kingdom of God. It's happening everywhere on this globe. It's for all those who are born of the spirit. He says, Nicodemus, basically he said, all your rules and all your regulations, that pecking order, it's not going to work for you. You have to be, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. And then let's get to verse 16. There's a whole lot in there, but I'm going to move forward. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? I hate the fact that people call it the football verse. It's one of the most dynamic scriptures in the whole New Testament. Let me unpack that a little bit. For God, the creator that holds us together, so agape Jew, that's the Greek word for love, He's so agape you. He's possessing you. He wants you. He longs for you that he gave his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this world to take upon you all of your sins, all of your unrighteousness, all of your unholiness. He gave his son, Jesus, that if you would believe. Now, please hear this. I'm not talking about an intellectual belief. It's the Greek word pastua. It means adhere to, trust, and rely. You've abandoned your heart to him. That if you've given your heart to him, if you've abandoned yourself to him, he's yours, you're his, and you surrender fully to him, he says, you shall have eternal life. And eternal life has nothing to do with heaven. It has to do with eternal zoe. It's the life of God. The life of God comes into it. To you at that point of surrender, when you become a believer and you're born again, the life of God, the Zoe of God comes into you, and that's an eternal life. As a matter of fact, let me say this, because my family's been going through some, some painful thing because of a, of, a, of a death in our family. And I, I'll just throw this in. In John chapter 5, he says, for all those who believe, you've already passed from death to Zoe. Now, let me say this. One day, my body is going to fall asleep. And I don't know if that's going to be today or tomorrow or 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. But I want you to know when you're there and you're crying, and I got two or three people there, maybe, maybe four, I don't know. And, and so he was a good man, that kind of stuff. I want you to know one thing. I'm not there. I'm not there. It's good for you to mourn me. That's okay. But I have already in Christ passed from death to life, seated at the right hand of the Father in Jesus. Right? And so when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only because the Son, that whoever so believe in him shall not perish but have eternal zoe, that's an eternal life. It's not just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life that the life of God lives inside of me. 
And then Jesus goes into John chapter 4, the woman at the well. What can we say about that incredible story? He goes, instead of going around Samaria, he goes through Samaria. And let me tell you what a Samaritan is. A Samaritan is a person, it's a Jewish person that through the years started after, the, the, after uh, they came out of Egypt. A Jewish person who had relationships and married, intermarried to those who were not Jewish. That's what a Samaritan is. And the Samaritans had their own clan, their own group of people. And the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jewish people. The Samaritans had their own mountain that they went to worship God, and the Jews said it was in Jerusalem. That was what the discourse is where they went to worship God. Now, this is the incredible story. They hate each other. And they would go around Samaria to get to the other side. Jesus goes through it. He walks right through Samaritan. What's that speak of racism? I, I, I got to tell you right now, there's not a racist bone in Christ. Not a single one, nor should there be a single racist bone in us. Black, yellow, white, purple, green, I don't care. You're God's if you're in his. There is not a single racist bone. And, he, and that's what he's speaking to, prejudices. He's speaking to that. He's telling all the Pharisees. He's telling all the Jewish people, look at what I'm doing. Walls are coming down. And they ever they never had any love of God. The walls are coming down. He's breaking down the walls. So all prejudice, all racism, he's speaking to that. Don't you love the personality of God? So cool. And then he comes to this well. Now understand, very seldom did a Jewish man even speak to his wife in public. Very seldom under that culture and that time. Now he's in Samaritan. He's a single man from the world's eyes. We know him as God. But from the world's eyes there, he's a single man. He's at this well. And there's a woman, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus engages her in conversation. Oh, my goodness. The scandal. It is scandalous. Not only is breaking down all walls of racism, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And all the people around watching that knows what kind of woman she is. And so she's there, and Jesus says to her, Woman, would you give me something to drink? The woman looks at him and says, Um, why are you asking me for this? You kind of, maybe her face turned red. Maybe she was a little embarrassed. Maybe she didn't know how to handle this situation. I don't know. But she's asking Jesus, why are you asking me this? Why are you asking me to do something? And then Jesus goes into a deeper meaning. He says, you know what? If you really knew who I was, who I am, you would ask me for living water. And then she goes, Cool. If you got some water that I'd never get thirsty again, give me some of that. He says, no, you don't understand. Now, this is where it gets really good. Jesus looks at the woman and says, would you go get your husband? And she says, um, I'm not married. 
and he goes, you speak rightly, but you've had five husbands, and you divorced the five, and the man you're now currently living with isn't your husband. You guys get the scandal here? Jewish man in Samaritan speaking to a woman who's basically prostituted herself through life, and everybody's watching them. Look at this. He breaks through all evil. He breaks through all darkness. And he brings the light to every situation, to everybody, no matter what their experience is. I love that about God. No matter what my brokenness, no matter what my experience is, he breaks through all of that. He comes to me and says, I want to give you, Dennis, living water. Told the woman, I want to give you water that will cause you never to thirst. You don't have to find meaning and significance and importance and, and security in men any longer. I can give that to you. Isn't that cool? And then she goes back and she tells people about, about this conversation. And the Bible says Jesus stayed there for another three days in Samaritan, proclaiming the truth. He broke down all, all the walls. Let's skip John 5. Let's go to John 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Okay? And, 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 and they're, they're, he's teaching the gospel. They're having a good time. And, 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 and he's proclaiming who he is. And the message, the day is over. And the Bible says they want to make him king by force. Now get this. They saw what he just did. He took a couple of fish and a couple of loaves and fed 5,000. And all the husbands, I mean all the men, all the women, all the children, could have been how many people, I don't know. And he fed them all and had plenty left over. And the, and the Bible says that they want to come to him and make him king. Guess what he does? He leaves. He just slips off. And that's the neat thing about the Gospel of John, too. You just see Jesus just, poof, he's gone. <laughs> Where'd he go? He leaves. The disciples are looking for him. Nobody knows where he, where he is. They assume the same, some, some way he got across the sea. So the disciples go out on the boat. All right? Well, let me back up first there. They wanted to make him king. Let me say this to you. They wanted to make him king because they wanted a Davidic kingdom. They wanted to be set up just like David was set up. They wanted a mighty army. army. They wanted to take away the rule from the Romans. They wanted to come out the, from the relationship of maybe being a servant, being controlled. They wanted a king with power. They saw his miracles so they know he had power. What they didn't get, and sometimes we don't get, because we want a king that Take away this. Take away that. Make this better. Do this for me. Do that for me. Set up my little kingdom. Give me the armor. Make everything right. We want that guy a king. We miss it. See, he's the kingdom of the spirit realm. He's the king. Now, it impacts the material world very, in a mighty way. Okay? He, he heals the sick. He keeps marriages together that are broken. Okay? He brings poverty into wealth. He brings greed into prosperity. He does incredible things for people. Okay? But please understand this. He's not interested in being the king of the world in terms of a physical. He's interested in a spiritual kingdom that touches and changes hearts. That Right now in China, on the other side of the globe, there's people there just like you and I whose hearts being changed by him. 
who's making us lovers of Him, that's being possessed by Him, being possessed by His Spirit, being filled by His Spirit. He's making a, a kingdom where we come and we take the Word of God to every circumstances and we say, so let it be. See, I believe in the healing of the sick. So I lay hands on the sick, I anoint them, and I say, so let it be. Guess what? Whatever happens, whatever fruit is up to God. I'm not going to start, start praying for the sick. I'm going to keep praying for the sick. Those who are in poverty, I'm going to say, so let it be. I want to teach them skills and trades and how to get out of poverty. But whether they choose to do that or not, that's up to them. I'm going to keep teaching them. I'm going to say, so let it be, so let it be, so let it be. And that's what Jesus, that's what the spiritual kingdom is. The spiritual kingdom is when we bring the word of God to life on every circumstance. And the Holy Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to full fullness. And they didn't understand that. They wanted a physical kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it's not a physical kingdom, guys. It's a spiritual kingdom that is eternal because of the Zoe of God that's never going to end, and it's going to change hearts. Two scriptures, and then we'll be done. I can go on and on and on. That's what's so cool about the John chapter 8. The, the woman caught in adultery. You know the story. All I want to say to you about that story is love always comes before you ask a person to turn from their sin. See, the church in the past has always told people to turn from their sin and then love them. Get, excuse me, get involved in people's brokenness. Get involved in their lives and love them. Wash their feet as Jesus did. Wrap your arms around them. Give your heart to them. Accept them right where they're at in all of their darkness and all of their brokenness. Accept them right where they're at. Let them know they're fully loved and gently point them to the one who can redeem their life. See, so often we are, oh, that person's got that kind of lifestyle. Right? See, that's not the Spirit of God. That's not Jesus. He wants us to be mature to the point that we, where he can step into their life, fully step into their life, fully where they're at, embrace them fully, love them fully, and gently lead them to the one who can redeem them out of their life circumstances. And John chapter 8, verse 12, one of my favorite scriptures says, you shall hear the light of life. You'll never walk in darkness. If you won't walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. That's that Zoe. And then John 8, 31, 32, he talks about... The truth will set you free, brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God. We have the life of God, the Zoe. We have the light of God. And we have the Aletheia, the truth of God, inside of our lives. Proclaim that to the world with all love, with all gentleness, with all kindness. Would you stand up, please? And it's the worship team comes up. Guys, read. John, start today, read John chapter 8, and tomorrow read 9. I hope you've had fun. I've, I've, I have fun. Just the Word of God is so, it's so cool. I love the Word of God. It's so wonderful. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Just one chapter. If you don't read John 8 today, don't worry about it. We'll get the next go around. Read John 9 tomorrow. And John 10. If you missed Tuesday, start on John 11 on Wednesday. Let the Word of God come alive in you. Put your hand over your heart, please. God, help us. Help us to love you. Help us to love you deeper. That your word can come alive in us. 
Help us to know your personality and fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Help us to allow you to unlock our hearts and the pain in our heart to bring you a life. The hidden sin, the secret sins in our life, that we'll bring that to light, that you're going to cleanse us from that, remove that from us. God, the prejudices, the, the racism, the, the uncomfortableness, help us bring that to, to you and let you bring light to that. God, make us a lover of people. God, I ask that you take away all judgment, all judgment, that we would judge no one, but that we would be servants of all and accept people right where they're at and gently, by your spirit, lead them to the one who can redeem them. Fill us with light. Fill us with light. Now, with your eyes closed, I'm not going, we're not going to open up the altar right now, but you know whatever circumstance you're dealing with in your life right now. I'm going to just give you about 30 seconds. The, the one who loves you with a never-ending love, just give that to him. You know if there's secret sin, you know if there's physical sickness, you know if there's marital discord, discord with children, you know whatever is going on in your life or, 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 or work and your circumstances with your next-door neighbor, just give that right now. Right now, just going to have 30 seconds of silence. You just give that to him. Now, God, I ask that all the things we've given to you, that you give us a new beginning and a fresh start, and that your word, God, would come alive in us. Now, everybody look at me, please. I want to encourage you to discover Jesus through the word of God. Discover God. Let this word dwell in you. Let the Holy Spirit use this word to bring life in carry it with you just as I carried it through my senior year, my first years of college in my back pocket. God's got great things for your life. Learn his word. It will do incredible things.